Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now, get ready to think. Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedekes. I'm Joel Sedekes, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Some quick housekeeping. One thing you might be noticing is the visuals of this episode look very different. I don't have any shelves in my background. I don't even have any empty shelves. There were a couple of episodes there where I had some empty shelves. But I am currently broadcasting from the basement of our new house. We are moving into our new house literally today. And so all my shelves are being installed. Uh, we're going to get the uh, the we're going to have to put up some walls and get a new study put up, and that's where we're going to have my studio. But the lighting is off. Um, hopefully the sound quality is good. But that's what's going on here. So please pray for your brother because uh, you know how moving can be. It can be stressful, and uh, when you try to add a ministry on top of that, it can be double, triple stressful. When you start adding four kids into the mix. Well, you, we're, we're going to have a lot of fun this week. So, um, But speaking of fun, man, today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. Now, quick disclaimer before we get started. This interview is not and cannot be an endorsement of any political candidate or any ballot measure. I have to say that up front because we are a nonprofit ministry and I am literally not allowed to endorse any candidate or ballot measure. So today we are talking about politics, and we're talking about a lot of issues related to politics. But I am not. Uh, but let's say this: the views expressed today are those of the speaker and not of the Think Institute or um, necessarily of Crew. See, the Think Institute podcast is here to answer impossible questions from a biblical perspective. And one of those impossible questions is, how should I, as a follower of Christ, engage in the world of politics when I am a citizen of heaven? To present to us today his answer and to help us know how to navigate that world of politics is Gabriel Wrench, candidate for Leta, Idaho County Commissioner. Now, Gabe Wrench hails from Texas and currently resides in Moscow, Idaho, where he graduated from the University of Idaho. He has also attended Greyfriars Hall, the pastoral training program at Christ Church. Gabriel is a media and marketing consultant, co-founder of the Fight Left Beast Network, and one of the hosts of the very fine cross-politic show and podcast. He has interviewed Senator Ted Cruz, Dr. Ben Carson, Matt Walsh, Ben Shapiro, Alveda King, among many others. Gabe also serves as a deacon at his church and serves on various nonprofit boards. He lives on a what he describes as a small 10-acre farm with his wife uh, and three children and a plethora of animals. And the fact that he calls that small tells you that he is from uh, Texas and currently living in Idaho because um, I am coming from Chicago, where we're lucky if you have enough um, lawn to mow longer than five minutes. So without any further introduction, let's go ahead and welcome Gabe Wrench to the Think Podcast. Welcome, brother. Joel, thanks for having me, man. Good to see you again. It is good to see you again. The last time I saw you, you were um, running to and fro at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference, although you were super gracious and uh, took the time to chat with me and really make sure that we felt very welcome as vendors uh, there at the conference. So I want to thank you again, man. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that conference. It was such a fun 
uh, group of people. It was, uh, just, our first conference, you don't know what to expect. You don't know. Um, and plus we had to move cities from Nashville to Franklin in 30 and 20 days, you know, so there was, it was just very chaotic on my side of things. Uh, but everything I think went really well. The fellowship was fantastic. Uh, I, I just had a really good time. I, I pray that God continues to bless that conference. Any major changes that you're thinking about instituting for next year? Um, you know, bigger venue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're already looking at a bigger venue. You know, we had about 900 people this year and we had to cut off registration and, uh, and multiple, I mean, numerous people said we need to bring our whole church here kind of thing. Um, so I, I'm anticipating between 2,000 and 3,000 people to come to next year's conference just based off the feedback and everything. So, uh, besides that, we want to keep it kid friendly. So we want to, um, uh, even bring out maybe more jumpy castles next year. We want to, um, uh, make sure that the venue is, is just as suited, if not better than what we, what we landed in. And, uh, so we're, yeah, we're thinking through the kind of logistics and all that stuff. And hopefully we'll have a location announced in February, building and location announced in February. That's the goal. So. Okay. And you're planning on keeping it there in Franklin? Yeah. Franklin, Nashville area. I mean, we, uh, we would like Franklin, but we might be, um, limited based off uh, how, how many we are anticipating to have come to our conference next year. So, it, um, <laughs> you know, we'd like to be Franklin, you know, um, uh, yeah. but it could end up being Nashville depending on the situation. Okay. Had you ever been to Franklin before, uh, before doing this? I have. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got some family there and, uh, man, we just love it. In fact, we just moved out of the city of Chicago and I got to tell you, I was like this close to moving to Franklin. It's just, yeah. as you know, it's just such a great, great yeah. town. Yeah, it is. I, I like, I like the, I, I like Tennessee. Tennessee's a, a cool state. It's unfortunate that Nashville is going liberal. Um, but, uh, Tennessee's a, a really cool state. A lot of good people there. Um, you know, we had our conference, had I think about 180 people represented in Tennessee at our conference and the next biggest state of people attending, I think came from Texas, which is about 60 people. Uh, so, oh. you know, that's gotta make you feel good as a Texan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Texas always represents though. <laughs> that's true. Well, there's like, there's, there's a lot of you guys. There um, are. How did you end up in Moscow, Idaho, Gabe from Texas? You know, my dad was a uh, pipe fitter turned kind of fab manager. So he worked for Texas Instruments, uh, Intel. And then um, in 1997, he got a job at Hyundai Semiconductors in Eugene, Oregon. So that was the year I graduated high school. And uh, it was a really good move for our family, really difficult move for our family. You know, growing up in Texas, you really... Um, all the caricatures of Texas are true. <laughs> everything's, everything's big in Texas. Everything's, uh, you know, the community, everyone's a Christian, whether they really are or not. Everyone, uh, at least right. confesses the, the Southern Christian gospel. <laughs> right. And, uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of blessings about to be living in Texas and growing up in Texas. And, you know, all my friends and the church that it was, that I grew up in was all, was all present. And so when dad moved the family to Oregon, Eugene, Oregon's a liberal town. It's a liberal college town. It's, it's um, very different. I mean, I joke about it going from cowboys and Indians to VW buses and hippies, <laughs> what the move is like. And, and so uh, when dad moved us to Oregon, uh, you know, we found, we got into a new church, new community, new everything. I mean, uh, God just ripped us. And I think, I think our, all, my whole family was kind of in this lukewarm condition of, of, of their walk mm. in, the, in their spiritual life. I mean, 
there's a benefit of Christian culture, but there's also a, a problem with Christian culture is that you can not uh, get a sense of of your need for God and a sense of uh, you know crying out and praying to God um, because you know there are enemies around you or there's unbelievers around you and and you don't even know how to um, you've never even ministered to an atheist or never witnessed to an atheist, right. which is basically what happened to me. I mean, I, I don't think I really met my first atheist until I moved to Eugene, Oregon. I really don't. Uh, and so a real blessing to Christian culture, and, and we need to grow that. Um, but uh, when we moved to Oregon, I think God kind of woke up my whole family and, and all this. It was uh, a good move. So from Oregon, my uh, my brother went uh, came to New St. Andrews College. So my dad, uh, I okay. went... I went to play basketball down at a college in California. And uh, during that time, my brother's two years older than me. And he uh, was just living at home, going to kind of University of Oregon there. Um, didn't have tons of direction on what he wanted to do. So um, my dad said, hey, there's this good Christian college in Moscow, Idaho. It's eight hours away. Let's go check it out. And so my brother um, came to check out New St. Andrews College and decided to go. And after about six months of him living here in Moscow, he started talking me into coming. And, uh, and basically he was on a full court press for about two years to talk me into coming up to finishing my school at university of Idaho, mm-hmm. which is in Moscow. And so he eventually won that argument and that's what got me to Moscow, Idaho. Wow. And, and this is your, is this your brother, Aaron? Yes. Yeah. And, and he's older or younger than you? He's two years older. Okay. Okay. Man, I've been loving that song, start a fire. Yeah. His music yeah, is fantastic. fantastic. Really yeah. good. Does he have an album coming out soon? I think eventually, you know, he's kind of like me. We got about uh, 10 different things going. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, what is important in the moment right now. That kind of um, is what drives kind of our schedules. Sure. And uh, so he's a, he's a, he owns a movie company and he's a producer and so forth. So it depends on if there's a movie that is pressing needs or a documentary they're working on that's pressing. So it, it depends. I think, I think he eventually will have a full co- album come out. He might start off with just a five song you know, L, um, LP um, kind of thing. So cool. cool. Yeah. Well, very cool, man. Every time I listen to it, it gets me excited for uh, Pastor Doug's next No Quarter November. Yeah, man. So, and it's coming. It's That's right. It's right around the corner. Yep. Now, um, we hear a lot about Moscow from the outside. You know, a lot of people, I'm sure, who are going to watch this game or, or listen to this saw the clip of you getting arrested. I know you've gone on countless shows, countless interviews. Uh, you have shared your story um, very uh, prolifically on that and really painted a great picture. But what about Moscow in general? You know, you hear so much. And, and as a matter of fact, I run a, a Facebook group, which I think, I'm not sure if you're a member of it or not, but it's called Christian Culture Builders. And it's filled with guys and gals who want to emulate what Doug Wilson and you guys with uh, Across Politic and Christ Church and Canon Press are doing in Moscow. Can you tell us, like, like what is it like being there in Moscow? Uh, we hear so much about it from the outside. Is it, uh, you know, do you do you feel like, you know, is it a is it a blessing to be there? Is there, you know, things you wish you could change about it? Is is it as magical as we all dream about, or? Uh, <laughs> You know, give us the inside scoop on that. Yeah, that's a, a long question. It is, uh, it is. And, you know, uh, my, my pastor, Pastor Doug Wilson, moved here uh, back in, I think, the late 70s. Um, and because his dad was an evangelist, uh, Jim Wilson. 
you know, Grandpa Jim. And uh, Jim decided to move here, bring, you know, move his family here because he wanted to find uh, Jim was in the military, uh, excuse me, in the Navy. And, and so he had kind of this um, strategic Navy background uh, and he started applying some of those ideas and concepts to evangelism. And so Jim decided to move the family here to Moscow, Idaho back in the 70s because he wanted to go to a town that was strategic and feasible. Those were his two principles. Yeah. And, and so he found, and so he kind of determined, well, university towns are strategic and university towns are, are feasible. So they're strategic in, in terms that uh, every four years they bring a new crop of students to evangelize in the region. Uh, and, and they're feasible because they're usually largely smaller towns and can actually um, see gospel impact within the lifetime of, of his ministry. And so that's why he chose uh, Moscow Pullman. We're in this border town with Washington, state of Washington. And we actually got two universities within seven miles of each other. So we have University of Idaho and we have Washington State University, both in seven miles uh, from each other. And so you get the energy of kind of the college life. And then you also get the, the farming community that surrounds us. So you really kind of get this ag uh, college presence that actually brings kind of a really unique um, flavor to our town. So uh, because of that, because of Jim's faithfulness, uh, Doug, Pastor Wilson, eventually became a pastor of one of the churches his dad planted. His dad's probably planted like, I don't know, eight churches in this region. His dad is, really is, in a lot of ways, kind of the godfather, uh, spiritual godfather of, of Moscow. Hmm. And so Doug kind of took over one of the churches that he uh, eventually planted. And then Doug's pa pastor, um, Wilson's been pastoring for 40 years now. And so uh, because uh, I go back that far, because a lot of people see what's happening in Moscow and seeing the blessing of God on our education um, see the blessing of God on our book publishing ministry, Canon Press. See the blessing of God on Doug's sermons and so forth. But you, people uh, need to know that it took 40 years to build what what we're seeing. You know, it took 40 years to see a lot of the fruit of what we're seeing. A lot of yeah. discipleship. You know, Doug's Doug's books on family are fantastic, yeah. uh, and and more people. And, but that's but that's also just shows you that uh, Pastor Wilson's been trying to teach families how to be faithful and disciple family life and 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 grow a mature body of believers here in town which is what has happened and so uh, it's a really interesting moment to be in in moscow um, for a couple reasons uh, one is because of what's happening nationwide there's a lot of churches and a lot of um, well-known pastors that are not um you know uh discipling people well anymore they've they've kind of veered uh, uh, to the left a little bit. And, and so um, nationally that kind of, uh, there's a weird moment going on with the church where it's, or the church has got some weak links in it. Uh, and so our, my pastor mm -hmm. has been faithful. My pastor has been preaching the gospel faithfully. Um, he's been preaching the whole counsel of God faithfully. And to watch some of these pastors kind of veer left has been disheartening. So uh, the other reason is also locally in what's going on. Um, so I live in a liberal town. I'm in Idaho, and Idaho has two counties that vote Democrat, and that's it. All the other counties vote Republican. Incredible. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So I'm in Latah County, and uh, Latah County is dominated by the city of Moscow. Hmm. Latah County is really conservative out in the rural towns and cities. They really are. Um, it's the city of Moscow, which is a university town, which is 
a liberal town. And, and so we, uh, we regularly come into con, uh, clash with our local liberals who don't like my church. Um, I mean, businesses, our businesses have been doxxed. Our businesses have been vandalized. Our business, you know, it's like, um, uh, it, it, the liberals try to pretend that they aren't violent, but we constantly reap the rewards of their violence here in town. And so, uh, with the kind of the national presence of my church, uh, and the local impact that my church has on the community, it creates a lot of, um, conflict, uh, uh, with kind of the local ideologies basically is what, what's happening. You're seeing kind of an ideological battle locally. So that's, that's kind of maybe painting the picture of, of what it's like to live in Moscow. It's, um, the community is fantastic. The church community is fantastic. Moscow community, the broader community, is great. Uh, I mean, I love a lot of the broader community, and and you kind of have the the uh, radical left here in town, which is kind of the small radical left that tend to where everyone kind of tends to see conflict coming from from mm. when it really isn't probably is general a, a really good consensus of what the reality of our town is really like. Okay, and I know a lot of that conflict, maybe all the conflict, circles around the the political realm, p- political issues, and that's really what we're here to address today. Now, Gabe, you've got a show called Cross Politic, of course, which uh, I'm a big fan of. You've got um, you're you're running for county commissioner there in Latok County. Have you always been politically minded? You know, um, no. It was funny. I really didn't, um, I think, get interested in, in the culture war uh, until I started going to University of Idaho in 2002. And my father-in-law, who's now my father-in-law, he's our college pastor. He started discipling me at, on, at University of Idaho, and I started getting involved in campus evangelism. And I started seeing, like, I mean, I was already running into cancel culture back in 2002 at, mm. on co- a college campus. Um, you know, I started, you know, getting in conflict uh, on campus with the gospel. I started. Uh, I, there's one class I call I took called human diversity and stratification as part of my communications major, uh-huh. uh, and I got into all sorts of uh, trouble in that class. It was pretty um, pretty comical. And the lady <laughs> the lady who was teaching that class ended up offering a one credit class on civil discourse, and that one credit class was used basically to protest my church's events on college campus. Yeah, unbelievable. Wow. Yep. So no, I you know so there was. The already stuff going on in 2003, four, while I was on college campus, that kind of mm. got me interested in culture and the culture wars and the gospel engaging in, in, in culture, you know. Um, and so as I and then I went to work for an economic firm and then I started, you know, kind of getting an on the job economics, you know, degree. I wouldn't call it degree, but on the job training for economics uh, for about 12 years. And, and it started kind of getting me to think um, politically about, you know, um, uh, about how uh, good cities should be run, good politics, what good civics should look like, and all that stuff um, from more of a fiscal uh, standpoint, from more of an economic side of things. So, uh, and then during that time, I went to Greyfriars Hall, which is a, a seminary of our church, a ministerial training of our church, a, a great, fantastic program. Mm-hmm. And during that, uh, so I kind of merging this desire to impact culture and going getting my pastoral training and and then being involved in this economics firm uh kind of all came together and over the years i started you know uh i started thinking you know what can i do what kind of ministry can i start in my church that no one is doing in my church community i don't want to double up we got a great 
Right. You know, my pastors are really good at blogging. I don't need to start a third blog, you know, whatever. My pastors are, you know, really good at teaching and preaching. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, so I don't need to write a book. We got a great book ministry. You know, there's all these things that are already going on. So I started scanning my church and say, okay, what, what gifts and abilities do I have that I could bring? I, I want to engage culture. I want to engage politics. Um, you know, and so that's actually how the podcast kind of came about in 2015, 2016 was my, no one in my church was doing a podcast. And I was like, well, I can, I can try that. I can attempt at starting that. And, and then the reason specifically why we wanted to call it cross politic or go after politics, that's our lane. We want to, we want to hit politics hard. Uh, we did that because the church had largely been kind of silent on political issues. I mean, you had a more majority in the eighties, but even then um, politics were kind of disconnected from the church. You know, all these 501c4s and c3s and other organizations started popping up, but it wasn't coming from, uh, I think, a, a holistic biblical worldview of what it looks like for moms and dads to engage in politics or how, how do mom and dads think through politics? How mm -hmm. do kids growing up in this crazy culture where you have transgender bathrooms, how do you think through politics? Um, and so that's uh, why we went that way is because we thought the church had been either largely silent or had been addressing politics very well. And uh, so um, we got, man, we got into it. And I mean, it really, it took off pretty quick. So how's your campaign been going? Yeah. So I'm also running for Latah County commissioner here in Latah County. And um, I uh, got into this race uh, because, uh, man, I worked for four or five months trying to find someone to run for County commissioner. And um, the day, the last day to file Friday, the last day to file, my buddy calls me from Texas and says, man, you just need to file. Huh. So I, it's kind of like, it's kind of his fault. Uh, I was not <laughs> planning on running and, uh, but I think God had other plans. And so, I filed that day, and then uh, the reason why I got into this race is actually pretty basic. Our county commissioners here in Latah have voted to raise taxes four years in a row on us. Every every year, they voted to take the allowable 3% wow. uh, to raise our taxes. And, and because of that, we are now the second highest tax county, average property tax county in Idaho. So it was just a – I had one constituent call me about six weeks ago. And he said, man, my property taxes have doubled in four years, <sighs> you know, because that includes the 3%. That includes the um, increase in the value of the house, uh, includes the city raising their taxes, uh, you know, includes the layers of taxation. It's brutal. It's brutal. And, and so that's the reason why I got into it. But then all this COVID stuff started happening. Mm -hmm. And our mayor, so I, I was March 11th when I signed up to run for county commissioner. And oh, right before the lockdowns. Exactly. Yeah. And so March 20th happened. And on March 20th, I believe that's the day where our mayor voted to shut down the economy here in Moscow, Idaho. Mm. And then our governor on March 25th voted to shut down the economy statewide. And, and I'm like, where the Constitution does it give our mayor the authority to shut down a business who's working hard, you know, good standing business, not doing anything illegal. Where in the constitution does it give our mayor to shut down the business? And, and someone's right to work and provide for their family and provide for their business, provide for their employees. I could not believe that our mayor did that. Hmm. And, and, uh, and keep in mind, our mayor did this before there was any COVID cases here in our County. Zero. Right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He shut down all my buddies' businesses. Hmm. You know, they're trying to make, provide for their family, provide for their, and at the same time, while our mayor continued to take his taxpayer-funded paycheck. It was just unbelievable. 
Jesus has all sorts of words for that kind of leadership. You know, it's like <laughs> you create one standard for the people while you yourself will not subject yourself un, un, under that same standard. And so mm. going through, so watching all this unfold, I, my reason to run for county commissioner just got so much bigger. And I'm like, man, we don't have any principled leadership uh, in our in our county or at, even at the governor level. The governor did the same thing our mayor did five days later. And and so, uh, you know, basically, I'm, I, I feel like I'm fighting for our principled constitutional rights here in our, at the county level, which kind of has blown my mind a little bit. So you clearly saw a need. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, one of the topics I wanted to really get into you with, Gabe, is this idea of political neutrality. You've got a lot of articles from evangelical thought leaders that are uh, being offered, especially, you know, this time of year, and they seem to crop up every four years. Yep. Yep. And they, they, a lot of them push the idea of political neutrality. You see tweets like, I'm too liberal for conservatives. I'm too conservative for liberals. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I don't fit in. Where do Christians, Tim Keller had that article, where do Christians fit into the political spectrum, yeah. the two-party system? They don't. Um, you're running as a Republican, correct? Yes. So help me, help, help our listeners understand. And again, I just want to reiterate here. If you just started watching, just started listening, uh, Gabe's going to share his views. I can't endorse a, a political candidate or, or ballot measure, but, but Gabe, should Christians pick sides in the two party system? Should we all go be constitutional partyists or, uh, or, or partisans or libertarians or What's what's the benefit, and what are maybe some of the cons of picking sides in the political um, in the political two party system? So I want to back up real quick. Uh, you know, in the beginning, God, uh, because God created the heavens and the earth, there is no neutrality. Uh, there's there, so Amen. we have a fundamental presuppositional as Christians. We have a fundamental presuppositional. Uh, uh, agreement here that we agree that God created the heavens and the earth and that if this was politics I'd be playing my preach preacher <laughs> that's right can I get my organ <laughs> and uh, so there is because God created the world there is no neutrality there, there just isn't uh, now because we live in a fallen world there's all sorts of um, principles and strategies and calculations we need to make as as people in this fallen world when when it comes to politics now with that said i don't i don't want to start with the gray areas of the bible and try to figure out how to sort through the gray areas that are in the world i want to start with the clear word of god where he's been clear with us and i want to apply that to uh, every area of my life i don't want to have any bible verses that i tuck away in a corner and don't allow to leave my heart or leave the church every Bible verse should have an application to my life and to this world. Uh, so we believe as Christians that Jesus died and rose again from the dead and he's king of kings, Lord of lords. First uh, Timothy uh, six, uh, you know, that, that um, every knee should bow, every tongue could, should confess. And that, uh, that in Psalm two, that all, all the enemies uh, should kiss mm -hmm. the sun, uh, you know? Yeah. So um, that's my operating biblical worldview. When I start looking at politics now, when we start sorting through politics, because we live in a fallen world, 
you know, and, and it, things are tricky because we started off as a Christian nation, right. and and then we've we've slowly gotten farther and farther away from those from those roots, which is which is creating all sorts of chaos and division now in our culture. One of the reasons why we're seeing so much division currently is because the sides in this battle, left, right, uh, conservative, liberal, um, the large sides in mm-hmm. this battle don't agree on a more moral base anymore. And so right. that's, that's why we're seeing a lot of this conflict. I mean, the left believe that um, the men can cut their junk off and become women. Um, you know, the left believe uh, that uh, the world is 4.6 billion years old. And even some people on the right believe that the left, you know, believe that uh, you can print money and it never affects your economy. You know, um, the left believe that they can shut down your churches if they think your health is at risk. You know, there's, um, and even some conservatives do that. So um, there's just no agreement, no moral base that we can agree on anymore. And that's why we're seeing some, some, some such uh, conflict that we're seeing now. Now, in terms of, I'm I'm running for Republican. I'm running as a Republican. Uh, I could see some towns, some cities, some counties, some regions running as a constitutional candidate, or or even running as a libertarian. You know, I can see some of those plays being run. You just have to kind of sort through. Uh, kind of that's a strategic question to be asking. Uh, and so uh, for me in my town, uh, I'm running as a Republican. Uh, now the Republican Party used to be uh, a very Christian party. In fact, it's still very Christian in their documents and in, in their, um, uh, you know, do, uh, documents. And so uh, I have no problem in terms of uh, what the Republican Party says they believe uh, in signing off to that. And so uh, that's part of uh, it's part of the calculation I'm making. Now, to run as Democrat, um, I think there's, uh, I, I would be, I would find it very difficult to make the argument that, hey, it's strategic for me to run as a Democrat in my town. Um, and largely because I can just can point to their documents and say, well, they believe in baby murder and they believe they take God out of their, out of their, their, their founding documents. And they, you know, they've done all these things just to be basically show that how anti-God they really are. Uh, now, but I know there's this Democrat in Louisiana, Kirtina, Kirtina Jackson. She's a pro-life Democrat. Um, and I believe she's a confessing Christian and that kind of thing. Oh. And yeah, there's, wow. there's a couple of unicorn Democrats out there. We had a, a Democrat that we interviewed um, from Tennessee. He was mm-hmm. a Democrat in Memphis. Uh, he, he was fantastic. The democratic party kicked him out. Right. Uh, and, and, and so we interviewed him back in August after they kicked him out. Uh, and he's a pro-life Christian. There's a great video of him going around, just kind of ripping into everybody in, in the house at, in Tennessee, uh, and everything. <laughs> so, uh, but, it, it, so, I I I can see a possible strategic situation where it might be okay, um, but you're obviously you are not in the party, uh, you are not signing off to the party's uh, documents and their beliefs and everything and everything. So I guess I'm I'm just trying to paint a little bit of a picture is that as Christians we need to think like Christians, not let the world define how we sort through these issues and and that we're we're christian through and through in how we run for office and what that looks like so it sounds to me like you're saying something that i think is very compatible with with what we talk a lot about on this show which is you start with the bible you start with the biblical worldview and then you reason out into the world from that and if that if that happens to land you as um a republican then 
you don't make any apologies about that if it lands you as a constitutional party or a libertarian or even in the cases of those two pro-life Democrats, maybe even as a Democrat, um, so be it. But you're you're starting with God's word and you're letting that presupposition that God is real, his word is true, the gospel is the answer, shape your engagement in politics. Is that is that a fair summary of what you're saying? Yeah, and one clarifying point there is, when, yeah, exactly. We start with the Word of God. That's our center. That's our magnetic North Pole kind of thing. We start there, and then everything it revolves around that. All our decisions revolve around that. Now, to run as a Republican or run as a you know, Libertarian or run as a constitutional party, that's a strategic question, mm-hmm. but that strategic question has to be backed up by scriptures. Why are you doing, why are you making that strategic decision in the first place? That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they be from God. We have to, and we have to be good Bereans when we do that. That's test, right. Search God's word. Um, why, what, Gabe? Why should Christians be involved in politics when Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world"? So Jesus did say, "My kingdom is not of this world," but He also taught us to pray that His kingdom would come into this world. So in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are Christians. We believe that God's kingdom is coming. In, in, in Matthew, it says that the kingdom is within us. The kingdom is within us, and that's that's where the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming through discipling the nations, converting the world, and preaching the gospel. So God's kingdom is coming. We're praying for it, and we know that his kingdom will be here on, on earth. As uh, as he blesses the preaching of the world and the Christians discipling the nations, something um, tells me you're not a dispensational premillennialist. <laughs> I'm a bibl. I'm, I I just believe the Bible. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> me too. Me too. I'm, I'm post mill. <laughs> and uh, yes. So what was what was the question uh, man, now? Everybody, I, now everybody's post mill these days, man. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. The the question is why should Christians uh, why should Christians be getting involved in politics? And and what do you say to Christians who are like, you know, I I don't necessarily see that. I, th- I think we should stay out. Yeah, Let the world you know, do its thing. We do our thing. The Dominion mandate applies to to us in every area of our lives. Now, um, uh, for us to not want to take dominion over this whole earth and to leave a pocket to secularists to leave a corner to unbelievers or leave, you know, we want to take dominion over, over the whole world. And that includes um, raising our families, planting churches, starting businesses, uh, you know, uh, getting involved in cultural battles and getting involved in politics. So, uh, you know, we should have no problem as Christians getting involved in politics because uh, the only reason why there's a government in the first place is because God gave us government. God defined government. God right. is the one who gave authority to our government, you know, Romans 13. Right. And so if God has given it to us, he wants us to take dominion over it. He wants us to uh, be good Christians in our community, uh, in our culture, and as and in politics. So if, if Christians aren't in... Now, there's a... Hang on. Let me back up here real quick. Um, not every Christian is gifted with the ability to get involved in politics in the same way. Not every Christian is gifted with the ability. uh, Let me me say this to to run in politics. Not every Christian is gifted with the ability to start a business or whatever. So obviously you, you have to know your gifts, your strengths and your abilities before you make a decision on what you do. But every Christian should be supporting, you know, think podcast or, you know, your mission and what you guys are doing. Every Christian should be behind that, whether they financially support it or not. 
every Christian should be behind the, the Christian who runs for Latah County Commissioner. They should be behind that. Yes, I'm, I'm, I want to, you know, it's not me. I'm not going to, it's not my gift, but I, I want to support you. I want to yeah. vote for you and that kind of thing. So um, I don't want uh, people's consciences to be pricked in a wrong way in this conversation, but mm-hmm. what, but where they should be um, engaged on, where you should be encouraged on is that you, you should be doing, uh, you should have a whole biblical worldview on how you look at the world and that's going to affect how you view, how you uh, get involved in politics. So part of, part of that question, one of the assumptions in that question is, is that Christians have the option of not being involved in politics. Right. There's the Christians or people, people think that there's an option that you don't have to be involved in politics, but um, to be Christian is to be political. We proclaim King Jesus. That's a political statement. Caesar knew it. And that's why he was crucified. Right. And, 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 and so to be Christian is to be political. And, but also um, everything we do as Christians is political, has political ramifications. Hmm. When I have my children, when me and my wife, Decided, decided to have three kids and to raise them in all the fear of the Lord, to change their diapers, all that stuff. Changing diapers is inherently political. We, <laughs> uh, push that we, out. Push that out, please. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, so we've, we've lost the connection of what it means to raise kids in, in the knowledge and fear of the Lord and what that means to a dying world. Yeah. My kids are going to grow up and be, um, by the grace of God, they're going to go to church. They're mm-hmm. going to vote. They're going to, you know, they're going to preach the gospel. They're going to go door to door evangelism. You know, so there's a, there's a, we've, part of what Satan has done in this last century is he's destroyed the vision of what it means to be a mother. He's destroyed the vision of what it means to be a father. He's destroyed, he's attacked the family. Right. And, 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 and has tricked and deceived mothers into thinking that. Um, well, the only real satisfying, gratifying accomplishments in this world is out there. And he's tricked and deceived fathers um, into thinking that uh, the family is just kind of holding him down and restricting his ability to, to be successful at work or whatever the scenario mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the family is the primer, the catapult for uh for dad in this world the family is the catapult for mom in this world if you're faithfully raising your children that is the most political statement you can make mm. in this world right here right now and what has happened is, is the church has uh neglected this primary area of discipleship the church does not preach on family anymore the preach the church does not preach on you know uh disciplining your kids um uh, you know, I mean, you just go through some basic topics and think like, well, when's the last time I heard a sermon on um, disciplining kids? Or when's the last time I've, I've heard a sermon on uh, a husband being head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church without you get all any these apologies? Think pieces saying, you get all these think pieces saying, you know, beware the idolatry of the family. In other words, you know, don't don't take your family yep. too seriously. You know, make sure you focus on, well, God, of course, but sort of pitting uh, Christian faith against uh, involvement with the family. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, and and then you get kind of the um, uh, uh, elevation of singlehood, right, <laughs> you know, right. and, and all this. And when it's you know the God um, the singles, God gives singles, God bless singles. But the primary yeah. um, relationship that God gave here on earth is between man and woman in marriage, 
Um, and that's how he gave Adam and Eve the call to go take dominion, uh, the command. It wasn't just a call. It was a command imperative to go take dominion in, in the world right. and everything. So for us, uh, I think part of what's happened in the church is the church has kind of um, taken their eye off the ball and stopped preaching uh, uh, into the one of the primary areas that people need discipleship, which is family life. And they've kind of um, – the church – is gone after all these shiny objects uh, and, and not necessarily all of them are bad. You know, for example, the church, you know, like church planting is the new cool thing, right? You know, yeah. church planting is cool. It's sexy. Um, you know, uh, college ministry, campus crusade, you know, this all this is cool paraministry, you know, all this stuff. And so you have all this emphasis to do this over here and you don't have any teaching, teaching and discipleship to do one of the most primary, most basic things, a right. church should be doing and is be fostering godly families. Yeah. 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 No, that that's good. Um, man, I, I, be, I gotta say, I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, we're not, uh, we're, we're not Presbyterians, you know, like, like you said, we just try to, we try to follow the Bible on that. But, uh, we <laughs> no, uh, for those who don't know, uh, uh, Christ church at Gabe and, and all the guys out there are, um, Presbyterians, uh, post mill. So, um, one of the taglines. We, we, we call ourselves whiskey Calvinists. Whis okay. Okay. Hey, listen, I like whiskey too. So, although, although I prefer scotch myself, uh, but, uh, I'll have it. <laughs> um, but, but one of the taglines of course is, um, you know, if you're single, get married, if you're married, uh, have kids, if you have kids, baptize them. And there's such a strong emphasis on raising your children in the Lord. And I got to say, man, it's infectious. You know, yeah. that emphasis on um, we've been doing family worship with my kids and um, uh, we, we've sort of been doing it in different forms. I wrote a catechism years ago, so we've been taking them through that. Um, but then we've been doing explicit family worship every day, whether in the morning or before they go to bed. Uh, we'll read scripture, pray together, and then we'll sing a song. And um, I love the emphasis that you guys have on training up the next generation and how that's not a sidetrack from gospel ministry. That is gospel ministry. That is what I'm supposed to be doing as a dad. It's, it's one of, if not the most powerful thing that Christians can be doing. One of the most um, audacious, powerful political acts is raising godly kids. Yeah. And you think, I mean, you think it, it basically, if, if the church is being faithful on that, it's, it should be just a numbers game. Right. If, you're, right? if mom and dad are yeah. being faithful and raising their own kids and knowledge of fear of the Lord, they're having more than two kids. Well, they're they're procreating the earth, right? Yeah. Um, the It's the unbelievers. It's the leftists who have less than two kids. The leftists are not replacing themselves. Mm. They don't, you know, homosexuality does not replace itself, right? It, it, it's, it's unfruitful. Left atheism is unfruitful. Homosexuality is unfruitful. Um, godlessness is ultimately unfruitful. And, and that unfruitfulness comes out very practically just in the numbers. And so if, if we are faithful in raising our kids, it should just be, you know, what, two, three, four generations before we take over the United States for God's kingdom and his glory and all that, and, you know, and, and we've forgotten. And that's what that's what's actually happened in all this in this. We've forgotten and neglected the family and the ministry of the family and the primary responsibility of mom and dad to raise the kids in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And so what's happened is and there's been various studies on this, but basically 50 to 80 percent of, of kids who Christian kids who go through public education 
end up losing their faith by their freshman year in college. Yeah. And it's so if we're losing, high. it's high. And if we're losing 80% of our kids uh, by their freshman year of college, uh, well, well, that's a, that's a losing strategy. You know, I mean, just think of it as from like a business perspective. That's not even a, uh, a, a that's a horrible product that you just, you you 80% of your product is just bad. Um, and, and so we need to fundamentally reclaim the church needs to fundamentally reclaim the gospel and disciple families, moms and dads and families. Uh, and, and I mean, Re- reformation revival, uh, is in, in America. We aren't, we aren't in Luther's time. It's right. very different. If, if, if reformation, reformation revival in the United States, if, if moms and dads is just repent of not raising their kids well, which is what the data is saying. The data is saying, it's very clear. Mom and dad, the church, we are not raising our kids well. We are not raising them in all the spirit of the Lord. We need to repent. And if that basic repentance happened, I mean, imagine what reformation and revival would look like here um, in this next 10 years. It'd be unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Scalf, we, we're not taking official comments yet, but Brandon Scalf, who runs Cruciform Ministries, he's the president. He wanted to add his little two cents in here. He says, and make them post-mill. And he put a little snarky, uh, winky face on there. Um, uh, Gabe, uh, Brandon's a good guy to to get to know. He's he's doing some amazing work, and he and I go back and forth all the time. He thinks he thinks that I am post mill already because I'm an optimistic, very optimistic in my eschatology. But That's right. He likes to. So we're we're doing a cross politic is doing a talk for Brandon's Cruciform online conference in December. Oh, right on. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I okay. I, I, uh, I forgot you guys were already connected. This episode of the Think Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Culture Builders Facebook group. This is an amazing group filled with believers in Jesus, optimistically working to create great commission hubs for the spread of the gospel, the furthering of Christ's kingdom, and the emergence of Christian culture in the world. We are working through the three spheres of authority, the family, the church, and the state to make it happen. Check out the group by going to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian Culture Builders. So Gabe, um, as, as Christians are thinking about, um, okay, so raising a family, that's a political act, but, but then there is direct political involvement, like what you're doing, where Christians mm-hmm. run yeah. for office or, um, or lobby for a particular cause. Or a couple of weeks ago, we had Brian Sarfate from Apologia Church on, who is involved with, um, he's like the spokesman for Action for Life, and they're doing some amazing work. Uh, and abortion now is affiliated with them. Um, what should be the goal of Christian involvement in politics? What what's what's our end game? Is our is our end game to to convert everybody to Christ? Is our end game to win a political majority? Is our end game godly laws? Uh, is our uh, what would you say is the goal of Christian political involvement? Yeah, another uh, yeah, real real big question there. Let me. Uh, talk structurally for a second about government and then you can kind of, that gives you a better setup for talking about what it should look like as a Christian to be cool. a, as a political candidate. So in the scriptures, God gave us uh, three governments. Um, Abraham Kuyper calls this, you know, a sphere of sovereignty. Right. And so God has defined and given authority to three governments in, in the Bible. So obviously we have the family government. God's given authority to mom and dad, real genuine authority from, from heaven. Uh, you have the church government. God has, uh, you know, given real authority to the church government. Matthew 18, uh, family government. You know, Ephesians 5, 
Ephesians 6, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, and then church government, Matthew 18. Um, and uh, you have real authority there given uh, to the church. And then the, gov- the civil government, you have real authority given to the civil government that God's given, Romans, Romans uh, 13. Uh, and and so you kind of look at these as as circles that kind of touch each other. You know, you kind of got the the three circles. You know, family government, church government, yeah. uh, and and state civil government. And so once once we kind of understand that, okay, God's given real authority to each of these governments. Well, what does that authority look like? Well, the authority of the family is is I like to use the phraseology. I think I think uh, maybe this is Kuiper. Or I've gotten this from my pastor and, and Uncle Gary Gary Demar. Um, but the family government is the ministry of health, education, and welfare. That's the family government. Health, education, and welfare. That's my job is to make sure my kids are healthy, to educate them, disciple them, knowledge, fear of the Lord, give them Christian education and welfare. Right? Health, education, welfare. We think now that that's the civil government's job. That's crazy. That's God. God gave the family's job to do that. Um, the church government. The job of the church is to disciple the nations, preach the gospel, and administer the Lord's sacrament, and enact church discipline where necessary. That's that's the church government. Uh, right. We have elders and pastors and deacons right. as part of that church government. And so God's given real authority to church government. Well, the job of the church government is not health, education, and welfare. That's the mm-hmm. family government. Uh, the, go- the job of the church government is to preach the gospel, minister the Lord's sacraments, disciple the nations, and, you know, enact church discipline where necessary. Now, lastly, the civil government. What's the job of the civil government? Well, is to keep the peace and wield the sword, basically. Yeah. Right. So, to enact judgment, do do justice to those who are doing good, and do justice to those who are doing evil. Well, that's going to look, you know, there's, and so the the church government, excuse me, the civil government, and family government, and church government, their authority is real, and defined. Yes. It's, it's, it's not, there's not one of these authorities that I've talked about have absolute authority. In fact, Romans 13 is very clear mm. that the civil government does not have absolute authority. And so we need to get, we need to get in our minds what those definitions are and what those structures are and what the limitations of each government are before we can even be good Christians and, and run uh, for office. And so now uh, my job running for office is not to disciple the nations with the gospel. Now, can I disciple people? Can I have a gospel impact? Absolutely. But my job, it, it, that's not my marching orders. My job is not to um, uh, baptize the nations in political office. <laughs> that's right. the church's job, right? And, right. and and so that's freeing, actually. It actually frees me to do a good job as as Latah County Commissioner. You know, my job is not to enact church discipline, um, and, and, you know, to ex- to excommunicate someone, an unrepentant sinner from the church as a yeah. Latah County Commissioner. It's not my job. Um, and so, uh, and you can see in history where each of these governments have maybe dominated and over or taken over authority that was not theirs. You got feudal family societies, you got, you know, uh, great Britain and the church of England and the Roman Catholic church. And, and yeah. as good examples of where the, the, the church government has overstepped their bounds. And then of course, right now in our society, what you're seeing right now is the civil government has drastically overstepped their bounds. Right. But they overstep their bounds and it happens in it, because the two governments, the civil government, excuse me, the, the family government and the church government atrophy because they abdicate authority. They abdicate their responsibility and it makes it very easy for a, the, one of the other governments, in this case, the civil government to come in and overstep their bounds. So as a, as a Christian politician, it is impossible for me to detach what I'm doing from my faith. Yeah. We can't do that. 
the dualism, no, I want nothing of it. Right. Um, now, at the same time, I'm free as a Christian to know that it's not my job to like force my faith on everybody as a political leader. That's not my job. Mm-hmm. My job is not to preach and disciple the nations. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the Monday night meeting as Latah County Commissioner, um, my job is to be a wise and godly Christian, a good representative who doesn't steal, who doesn't, who doesn't have covetousness in his heart and who loves the truth. Yeah. That's my job. And so now, uh, now I have the parameters and the paradigm to go in and be a godly, a faithful Christian man with the current, um, the current political structure and the current laws that we have in, in office and what I'm able to do and what I'm not able to do is accomplish as a Lake County commissioner. So I hope that uh, kind of uh, a lot of background there to be able to get to what it should look like here in town. And then of course I'm, I'm, there's all sorts of practical, uh, you know, things that I'm going to, I'm sorting out. I am sorting out and will sort out if I run, if I end up winning this race on November 3rd. And, uh, and so that just takes prayer and faithfulness and knowing scriptures and getting wise counsel and, and, and also getting counsel from those who run for County commissioner, which I have and, and, uh, get, you know, uh, you know, I don't need to make any rash decisions. I can think through it and do the best I can as County commissioner. And those practical aspects will be coming down the pipe if, if I win. So the, the view that you just laid out is, um, you know, I, I agree. I think it's very biblical. We talk a lot about that on this show. We we talk about the, the spheres of authority. And as you were talking about in history as the different spheres, you know, one sphere has usurped authority over another sphere. It reminded me a little bit of the brilliance of the founding fathers in putting checks and balances on the three um, the three branches of government. There's there's not that they, uh, you know, they would all be part of the civil um, the civil magistrates, the the governmental sphere, the state. But um, but there's there's intended to be checks and balances there, and you do you run into all kinds of problems when the judiciary becomes you know an activist judiciary, or when the the president has too much power, or, uh, or when the president abdicates his power and gives too much over to the judiciary, and so um, you know it's it's it, it's funny, but who would have thought the world actually works a lot better when it goes according to God's plan? There's three spheres of government. God, God gave each one authority. Um, Gabe, I'm, I'm sure people are wondering. I want to get to a few from the audience, but I'm sure people are wondering right now, uh, where could they, let's say that there was somebody who was politically inclined, where could they have the most impact right now? You know, is, I mean, you went for county commissioner. Is, is that, is the county level the, the place where they should start? Should they, you know, start at the local HOA office? Should they go, you know, to statewide office? Where do you see Christians being able to have the most impact right now in this political environment? Obviously, the first part of that answer comes from, you know, what are your gifts and what are your abilities and where your desires at? And so kind of, you know, assess that. And, and if you're going to, if your gift is being a county clerk, then go for it, you know. Okay. Um, if your gift is, uh, you know, being on the, um, you know, whatever board that the mayor appoints you to go for it. Um, we need far more engagement. There's a lot of opportunity, actually a lot of opportunity that doesn't take that much of your time. You can just get appointed to be on a, on a local uh, board that the mayor has um, a local committee that the mayor has, whether it's, um, you know, parks and rec all the way to, uh, you know, planning and zoning. Um, those are great areas that we need Christians involved in. Uh, but what I, you know, 
I would want to shy away from people who are Christians who are interested in being politics from starting pushing them into or 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 encouraging them to go into the bling the the cool or 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 uh, the appearance of a lot of authority situations you know okay. running for congressman running for senator running for governor uh, I would want to um, shy away from that I don't have problems with home runs happening or grand slams happening uh, mm. but I would our founders one of the you know we we talked about checks and balances and stuff but one of the reasons why our states are designed the way they are is because county politics were actually where the most important politics were supposed to be happening in your region. Right. You know, we've gotten so far away from the vision of how our founders uh, wanted us to view politics and wanted us to view local politics particularly. We think the most important race is every four years with the president of the United States. But your sheriff, your county commissioners actually have far more opportunity to intrude into your life than the president of the United States does. Right. And so we, I think we need to, as Christians, we need to really focus on um, uh, basically taking back the United States one county at a time. Hmm. And so, you know, county politics, like there's, there's uh, counties in Texas who are declaring that their county is a sanctuary for the unborn. Wow. That no, no abortion clinics can be built in, in this in these counties. Praise God. So there's real, yeah, there's real uh, great opportunity to impact local politics. And, and you think of, um, you know, when you throw a rock into a pond, you see the, the, the biggest ripples are the ones that are closest to the rock as it mm. ripples out. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really how poli our politics was set up. That's really how our political structures were set up, where the biggest ripple of impact on, on our political life actually should come from city government and county government. Uh, and we've neglected that and, mm. and we're getting all, all, into all sorts of problems with that. So I would, I, you know, so for example, a very practical thing that I would have done in this whole COVID shutdown as county commissioner. Now I'm one of three county commissioners, so I got to convince at least one more to vote with me on whatever I do. Right. Okay. So uh, I, I can't just do anything willy nilly. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I would have pushed for is when the governor shut down the whole economy here in Idaho, I would say, no, thank you. Nope. We, we, we put together a resolution with our local county commissioners and say, this, this, uh, the governor is overstepped his constitutional boundaries. Here's mm -hmm. where he did. I would reference the Idaho code 56 and other codes that he's, um, uh, trampling on and say, this does not apply to our county and you citizens are free to go on with business. Hmm. And so, so there really is a protection there. Uh, you know, we get into the law of lesser magistrates and all that stuff, but there really is, um, just practical implications for, uh, you know, county commissioners and how they can, you know, protect your rights and uh, your first amendment rights and your right to work and, and to go about your business without being harassed by the government. And so that, that'd be a practical example of something I could do as county commissioner. Very cool. That, yeah, no, that's, that's very helpful. I, I love that illustration of the ripples that are the biggest or the closest to the, the center point. And uh, um, I, I, it must have been on Cross Politic recently where I heard that truth that that the county was supposed to be the engine for political energy. Um, yeah. Well, when you think about it, when you think about it, um, I can go in and argue with my county commissioners. I can see them face to face. Right. I can go into their office and argue with them. Right. It's it's almost impossible for me to get a meeting with the governor of Idaho. Right. You know, to argue with him. You know, so just even from a community dialogue standpoint you, you have a lot more ability to be heard yeah in the political sphere locally because that's what it was designed for yeah it makes a lot of sense 
Um, by the way, Gabe, I looked it up, and um, the word county in the old French was the jurisdiction of a count. It was where a count had influence. So, uh, you know, you might want to think about bringing that back if you get elected as county commissioner. Maybe we should call you, you know, Count Wrench. I don't uh, know if you want to. I don't know if you want to go that way. Just give us some thought. Give us some thought. Yeah. Um. So the um, the 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 questions have piled up a little bit here. Um, I uh, I posted the question or I posted the opportunity to ask you some questions on right. uh, on a couple of different groups, and so. Sorry, right with you. I want to just share a couple of these. Um, yeah, please. So uh, Brandon Raby, uh, Rabby maybe, has asked if you could give a short testimony, um, maybe where you first heard of Christ to where you are now. You you sort of you touched on this, but maybe if you could you know give us your one or two yeah. minute testimony of how Christ found you. Yeah. Uh, um... So I was born in Texas. I was born in a Christian family. I was born into a church community. You know, I never knew a time where I didn't know uh, where I didn't go to church. You know, I never knew a time where my dad didn't pray over family meals, you know. So I was um, nurtured in the admonition of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And like C.S. Lewis said, you know, I, I, I don't know the time when the sun came up. But no one ever really knows when the time the sun comes up. But the sun has just always been up in my life. And, right. and so... I, now, um, I I do know when the conviction of the Holy Spirit gradually um, uh, took over my life. Uh, you know, uh, like I mentioned, I grew up in Texas when everybody's a Christian, yeah. whether they really are or not. Uh, well, in '97, when I, and so I I was never a re super rebellious kid. I mean, I had when I was 13 and 14, I was a pretty difficult kid. Uh, 12, 13, 14. Um, but I never, uh, really just went out and rebelled against mom and dad and, and just lived a debaucherous life and, uh, and never went through that process by the grace of God. Uh, but at the same time, I wasn't really growing in the Lord. I would read the Bible once a month, you know, I'd maybe pray before I went to bed once a month. It, my, my faith, I was not engaging my faith uh -huh. actively, uh, very much at all, but, um, I was surrounded by Christian friends. So when I moved to Oregon, I remember, I kind of look at each state that I've lived in. I lived in six states. And I kind of look at wow. each state as, as a particular state in particular um, that God was working on me in a particular way. So when I moved to Oregon, uh, that was the first time where I met an atheist. That was the first time where I, I started thinking, wow, if there's people who don't believe in God, then I need to know what I believe about God and what is true and what his word says. And, and then I remember, so I remember reading the Bible like God, like I meant it. And I remember starting to pray like, okay, oh, like, um, my my spiritual well being's on the line, and I need to, I need to you know build a relationship with God, and so that happened in Oregon. Then I went down to California to play basketball at a college down in California, and it was my first time kind of living outside of the house um, for a long time, and uh, you know living in my own apartment. It was my first time to be in my own apartment, all that stuff. And I remember I moved I moved in with three of my basketball teammates at like two in the morning in our apartment that night, uh, Saturday night. And I remember unloading the U-Haul with all my teammates and unloading where in this apartment. I remember going to bed like at three in the morning and this is in 1998 and just thinking I need to wake up and I need to go to church tomorrow. I don't care what church I go to. It's either I'm going to stop being a Christian. I'm going to lose my faith or I need to go to church tomorrow. Either I'm going to own what my parents taught me to own or I'm going to reject my parents' faith and what they taught me. Then it, 
it was a very heavy moment. Obviously, I wouldn't just stop being a Christian in that moment if I didn't go to church the next day. That's not how losing your faith work happens. Uh, but uh, I remember waking up that morning. It was like 8.30 in the morning. And this is before you have GPS. This is before I had a cell phone. So I was just driving around town looking for a church service at 9 a.m. in the morning on Sunday. And I ended up in this just wonderful church called Temple Baptist. And uh, just remember, like, when I got there, sitting in the pews and being like, these are my people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm right where I need to be. And uh, so by the grace of God, I, God kind of used California as mm. an opportunity for me to kind of start owning my faith. And now mm. that I'm not part of my parents' house, and then real quick, I, when I moved to Idaho, God started really putting a lot of meat on my faith and started growing really a, a lot in the Lord. So that's kind of my spiritual journey. God's been kind. And, you know, it's like uh, the, the sun has slowly come up on, on me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's very biblical too. There's a proverb that says that uh the 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 righteous the, the righteous man, I, I I wish I could cite it exactly, but um the the life of the righteous, you know, grows brighter and brighter until noonday. And um there's a Spurgeon sermon about that, just painting this beautiful picture of how we grow in righteousness and um yeah, we don't always know when the sun rises, but we sure do know when it's shining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, man. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Brandon also asks, now he's got kind of a longer question here, but I'm just going to post the um, the first part of it, and then I'll read the rest of it. He says, how do you stay committed and actually accomplish stuff? Like I've had short books or podcast ideas rolling around in my head for a while, but anytime I start to do anything about it, I run out of steam and nothing comes of it. Or do you get like that too? Yeah, it's probably not your gift then, um, is probably what I'd say. You know, I've there's been a lot of projects that I've started and not completed. Um, mm-hmm. And it largely, you know, uh, it largely is probably probably the main reason is probably not my gift. You know, yeah. um, could I could I build a house? Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I probably could. Could I build five houses? No. Uh, you know, by the by the time I get to the second, you know, the, the second house, I'm um, my attention's other places. I want to do something else, you know, kind of thing. So, um, that would be part of it. Now, now there is the, the part of the calculation here is, you know, um, uh, do I have a discipline problem? And that's something you need to kind of sort through. And if you, if you, if you do, then I would start with small projects, finish those small projects and work your way up to bigger projects and, and everything. So there, if, if it's a discipline problem, then, then just start small. If, but if it really is a gifting problem um you know then then it's probably something you you just you know need to go a different direction yeah no that that's really good um moving right along jay wise gabe uh jay wise asks what is theocratic libertarianism oh man you're probably better to ask my pastor that question he'll (laughs) he'll be able to give you a little more uh uh in-depth uh definition there but basically uh uh, let me start. Let me start here. You know, um, everyone is a theocrat. It's inescapable. Um, now, just it, the the question is, which God do you believe in, and which God's laws should reign over the land? Do you believe the in demos? Do you believe in democracy? Do you do you believe that fifty one percent get to define the law of the land, or do you believe? But King gets to define the law of the land. Do you believe the president gets, you know, so everyone at, at some level is a three crat and it's, it's unavoidable. It, right. and he, we just need to, as Christians, be able to kind of sort through what is a three crat. 
um, uh, who, whose God is, is driving the system. In terms of libertarianism, you know, uh, I've, I've described myself as like some sort of Republican libertarianism. I think it's Doug's getting at the same kind of definition. But, um, you know, I believe in uh, one of the undef- um, one of the governments that God has also given us is the, the government of the individual, meaning um, you have to have Christians who can self-govern. Our founders knew this, that the Constitution was made for moral people. Right. And and that self governance is is just as important as you know a Republican form of government governance. And so, if you don't have a moral people, you will not have a moral. If you don't have a moral individual, you'll not have a moral people. And so, uh, the libertarianism, in my mind, the idea behind libertarianism there is that that self governance. You have the freedom to self govern yourself in in all sorts of areas where our current government is um, entrenching and enroaching on those uh, uh, those individual liberties that you should have. So I believe that God's law is above all. I believe Jesus is king above all. Mm-hmm. And I believe that he's given me marching orders as a Christian here on earth. Uh, and I need to be a, a, govern, uh, a morally governed man according to his word. And that's where I'd probably start with the definition. I, I think my pastor, Pastor Doug Wilson, wrote an actual blog post actually going through all the, um, I think he has five definition or five factors that factor into the definition of theocratic libertarianism. Oh, that, no, that's really helpful, Gabe. And, um, you know, I, I, it sounds like you're saying the, the citizen ought to have to make his or her own choices and, and to, to be free. But also along with that comes a strong emphasis on virtue, on virtuous living, on on living in a Christ-like way. So we ought to live under the law of Christ, under the law of God, and we also ought to have the freedom to do that. Is Absolutely. That and the reason why I reject, you know, kind of secular libertarianism, um, mm-hmm. or as the Libertarian Party would define it, is is because um, in the Libertarian Party, you got pro-choice and you got pro-life. <laughs> in fact, the Libertarian Party is probably split down the middle. About fifty percent of the Libertarian Party is probably pro-choice. Fifty percent right. is about is probably pro-life, and and so if you don't have a, an objective standard that governs your libertarianism, it'll it'll get cattywampus real quick. So that's yeah. that's why I like uh, theocratic libertarianism. Okay, yeah, thanks for that. Seth Schrag asks this: <laughs> Will you please run for president so that we have a halfway decent candidate to vote for? Your thoughts? Uh, I'd probably get shot. And I probably, I probably wouldn't get out of the state of Idaho. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, okay. Good to know. Um, I I know you'd have a lot of votes coming from the fight, laugh, feast, uh, family party, Facebook group. Yeah. Um, if you were to, so I think we might just have one more comment here. Uh, let's see if, um, okay. Uh, Nate Werner asks this. Oh, this is just more of a practical thing here, Gabe. He, uh, Nate Werner says, hi, Gabe. I think you and Pastor Wilson should try to reach out to Tim Poole about getting an interview. He talked about you on your show a while back. Do you know who that is? I know. I know who Tim Poole is, and um, I would like to get him on. I like, I mean, Tim's kind of been on a journey, and he's realizing his past liberalism uh, just uh, doesn't hold up in the long run. And so he's trying to figure out I think a new a new landing, philosophical landing landing uh, uh, pad. <laughs> is that is Tim Pool? Is that the Timcast? Is that Timcast? Yeah, that's Timcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've heard a lot he's, of. Good he's things. formerly he's formerly with uh, uh, Vice. 
and then oh. started a and then started Timcast. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay, uh, Gabe, what's the future for you? And uh, what are some other? I mean, not that you don't have enough on your plate right now, but um, what what are you really excited about in the future in terms of projects that you're working on, and what can we look out for? Yeah, you know, um, I'm just I'm really excited about what God is doing with uh, cross politic and and what the future holds there. I mean, we're um, uh, coming into our uh, fifth year, uh, and um, I mean, we're actually hiring. Uh, two employees finally, um, wow. which is unbelievable. Um, I, I mean, to, to even think, yep. Um, so we we still need to grow our funding uh, quite quite a bit um, to be able to hit. And uh, there's just a lot we want to do with cross politic. And and I mean, we really want, by the grace of God, Lord willing, we'd love to have cross politic be competing with Fox and CNN and all that stuff. That's our lane, the political lane we want to hit. So we're we're an LLC. So you did you did a nonprofit. You're doing something very different than what we're doing. Joel, nonprofit makes tons of sense, but because we're uh, explicitly political, we actually had to do an LLC. If we did a right. nonprofit, then we wouldn't we would have gotten in trouble with the IRS. And so, going a for profit, which is actually, if I was a nonprofit, we would have been made. We would have had our our costs covered by now because Christians love to donate to ministries like this. Um, right. Making it a making it a for profit, you have to have a different business model and and. Christians don't donate to for profits, even though they can, um, in terms of, you know, marketing expenses or something, but there's a, I think Christians need to rethink how they put out uh, structure their organizations and their ministries. Um, because we are not a, we aren't making profit. I can tell you that, but, but our goal long-term is to really, uh, compete with Fox and have a full studio, have a full TV studio, create our own infrastructure to where if we get canceled, which we know we will, that it doesn't hurt us and impact us at all. And then uh, to grow our conference and what we're doing with the Fight Laugh East conference, you know, the Christian conference circuit, it really is sad and, and, and full of soft conferences and full of soft topics. I'm, you know, the, the next time, don't take this the wrong way. The next time, you know, a, a hip Christian um, conference titles their, their conference, uh, the holiness of God or whatever, um, you know, move on. Nothing wrong with the holiness of God, but what you're getting fed is benign Christianity. They're, 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 um, you should be learning about the holiness of God from your pastor at home. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I think that topic can be good, but I just, I'm saying the way the modern Christian conference circuit is now is you get fed just some general agreeable, uh, talks and you move on and, and, and you aren't, uh, and you leave the conference, maybe encouraged, and you know there's some good talks, some good you know preaching and everything. But uh, what we want to do at the Fight Laugh Peace Conference is is we want to bring every area of life under the uh, under the lordship of Christ, and we particularly want to teach uh, men and women and families how to engage in culture and how to think about your business in relationship to politics, how to think about your family in relationship to politics, and how to think about your engagement in this world in relation to. Um, the Great Commission, what it means to culture and politics. So that's that's what our Fight, Laugh, Feast conference is doing. Uh, we have a heavy emphasis on singing psalms, which is a lost art in the church. We've thrown out God's hymn book um, in, in, in exchange for man's hymn book and man's um, music. And so we want to bring the singing psalms back into, uh, uh, and, and I don't know, you, know, I, you, you were there for it all, Joel. Singing psalms is one of my favorite parts of that conference. It was, just it was awesome. It was, yeah. it was fantastic. 
It was totally, I was not sure what to expect because I've never been in a church where we've done psalm singing or anything like that. And, and you know, listen, Paul does tell us to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual yep. songs. That's so, right. So, you know, we've, much of the modern church has left hymns behind. There's we're, there's a heavy emphasis on the spiritual songs, depending on how, you know, maybe a praise song from Hillsong is a hymn. I'm not sure how you define that. But we've definitely left, psalms behind to a large extent so uh you know correct me if i'm wrong i felt as though the emphasis on psalms is is a corrective it's it's hey this is something we've left behind for like at least 100 years probably longer let's reintroduce god's songbook and yeah. you know it's one third at least of the songs we're supposed to be singing yeah, and right. I, I appreciated it you know, and you think when you uh, one of the the travesties of of dropping the psalms out of out of the pews and getting rid of the psalms is that that's how David talked to God. Like we have a biblical, uh, you know, authorized, spirit filled example of how to talk to God, and and so we right. we don't we don't know how to talk to God because we don't know how to sing psalms. Oof. I mean, David David pleads to God. David cries mm. out to God. David cries out to God to change, uh, you know, to get rid of his enemies, to forgive, forgive him of his great sins that he committed. Uh, you know, he pleads, he cries out to God to bless uh, his family and, and, and that the world, that we'd produce godly children like vines in Psalm 128. David, I think one of the reasons why people don't sing the Psalms is because they don't like the rough edges. Ooh. Because, you know, for example, Psalm 137 ends with God crush my enemies babies on the rocks right. next next time you're in a church look around and say could i sing psalm 137 in my church right would would this church sing psalm 137 hmm. and if your answer is no then go find another church wow and, and you'll find yourself you'll find yourself actually having a hard time finding a church that can sing that psalm which to show you the spiritual health of of what is going on and why everyone's wearing a mask yeah <laughs> well uh you know, I, I definitely, so, okay, what you just said about the holiness of God and that being a topic, I, I, I feel like I ought to defend the Cruciform Conference because if you watch the videos from that, it was not Pablo, man. It was stuff. It was very good. There was a, the serrated edge was out. Uh, awesome. Awesome. I was not, I, that, that conference was not my target. I know it. I know, mind, it. So just... I know it. It was, but it was, it was very good, but, but I'm with you, man. I know we don't need, uh, we don't need baby food. We need, we need solid food. Um, just, just really quick. Seth Schrag is asking this. He says, uh, and this, this is very much in line with what you were just saying. Gabe, what are your thoughts on exclusive psalmody churches that only sing Psalms? Yeah. You know, um, I just I, I don't see a biblical precedent for that, or, or um, uh, I you know I think the scriptures is very clear to, that we're you know Colossians that we should sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Yeah. Uh, so I think psalms is a category there. I think you have a number of examples with Moses and Mary and a number of uh, people in the scriptures where they were singing not psalms right. uh, and everything. And so I think that's a that's a hard position to hold. Uh, usually related with that. Is also you you don't have music in your church, so usually exclusive psalmody a lot of times would go you, they'd throw out the music also. But you're all you're singing the, the psalms. Um, I'll be off in a second, Jesse. You're you're singing the psalms, and the psalms is full of instruments, <laughs> so you can't. I don't know how you could be exclusive right. psalmody and not have any instruments in your church also. 
Right. Right. Okay. Um, Gabe, we've we've already gone on uh, long here, but man, this has been a fantastic discussion. I, I really appreciate it, brother. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for for sharing your thoughts. Um, I just want to encourage everybody go to flfnetwork.com, right? Yep, flfnetwork.com. Gabe, is that the best place for people to to uh, find out more about you or to get in touch? Yeah, they can get from there. They can get everywhere. Okay. Okay. Great. So definitely go check that out. Um, when's the next cross politic episode coming out, Gabe? Uh, it'll actually be coming out uh, tomorrow. So we, we usually produce a, uh, we live stream on Wednesdays, uh, usually at 10 a.m. Pacific time, and then we uh, produce a larger or Sunday special, uh, which releases every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Pacific time, and everything. And we got some fun lineups coming. Wonderful. All right. Well, uh, Gabe, thank you again. Just want to encourage everybody to um, connect with us at thethink.institute. Um, if you, you from there, just like Gabe said with his website, you can get to all of our channels, uh, all of our podcast archives and back catalog. Uh, also, if you have any questions, concerns, conundrums, or complaints, email me at thethink.institute at gmail.com. And my wife and I are support raising missionaries through the organization called Crew. And Gabe, believe me, when I was down at the Cross Politic, the Fight Left Feast conference, um, every time I told someone that I was with Crew, I had to very quickly explain: uh, we are non-woke, we are very biblical, and we we believe that the gospel is the answer to life's problems. Amen. And and that is absolutely true. So, um, and we're also part of a, a organization within Crew called Church Movements, which is very very solid, very biblical. So, if you want to learn more about partnering with my family, go to Give dot crew dot org slash one zero one eight eight four one. I want to thank my guest Gabe. Oh, Gabe, I forgot to ask you, what is behind the water boy name? You know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, just real quick. Uh, you know, when we started the show, we had um, you know chalk knocks, chocolate knocks, um, and then we had Pastor Toby. Yes. So he had a name, and then we had Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, after a while, I was like, man, maybe I should just come up with a name. And so I serve as a deacon at my church. And so, you know, oh. just water, water boy, server, you know. Totally. And so that's, that's how we got the, that's how I got the name, nickname water boy. That's great. Okay. The mystery has been solved. Thank you. There you go. Wrench. All right. Well, listen, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. Thanks to everyone who wrote in questions. And that's about all we have for you. So until next time, I hope it made you think.